What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony, Lori, and Mike, and we are discussing episode one of the new Marvel Disney Plus series, Moon Knight. And before we get started on our discussion, I just want to know by a show of hands, well, of course, we, we can't see Lori, but we already know the answer to this question. How many of us had no working knowledge of this character prior to the announcement of this series okay so anthony so anthony you had no knowledge of this character even with your i mean i know i know of the character but i don't have a working knowledge okay Okay. did you ever read the the comics for moon knight no i think i may have read one where he teamed up with maybe blade i think okay (laughs) That, that might oh. be the only that was a while ago though. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. oh Mike has his hand okay. raised. <clears throat> I'm starting off early. <clears throat> I have a theory. Okay. <laughs> so I know we haven't talked about anything yet, but I walked right you, into uh, that one, didn't I? Yeah, really did. It. You it was pushing. I mean, I didn't even have to open the door. You just literally walked in. Okay, so it was Bushman. There is um shout what? out to Eric Lori? Bushman. Oh, okay. All right, shout out to Eric Voss of New New Rockstars. Um, they posted a synopsis of episode one, or like they, they showed an interview that Oscar Isaac did in Brazil, I think. It was either a Portuguese or a Spanish-speaking country. It might have been a Spanish-speaking country, so it might not have been Brazil, but I digress. So they were talking about the future for Moon Knight. They were saying, well, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to be connected with the Avengers or what? And Oscar Isaac said, you know what I really want? I want him to be in Midnight Suns. For those of you who don't know, I had to look it up myself. And once I looked it up, I, I've i been excited about it for literally two weeks since. Now, Midnight Suns is really like Justice League Dark in DC. It's basically um, all the, the really, the kind of horror-based heroes like Blade, Morbius, um, Hellstrom, caretaker um danny ketch and johnny blaze um ghost riders both both of those versions and moon knight joined them in a couple of runs as well can i tell you if i see if i see one of those freaking ghost riders and we can get a midnight suns run on disney plus around halloween i mean you, you feel could, very you passionate actually, about this. I want to see. I mean, do you not want to see this? Like, come on. It's like we could. You could actually have. I mean, Iron Fist was in it. Hannibal. Hannibal King was in it from um, Blade Trinity, the the character that um, Ryan Reynolds played. But of course, he's probably not going to play it. Um, Punisher was in a run. Doctor Voodoo was in a run. Um, Frank Drake. Doctor Strange was a was one of the main members of the Midnight Suns too. Okay. So. There are a shit ton of, of entanglements and sorry, bad choice of words, but I digress. Um, <laughs> there is a shit ton of connections that we can make through Doctor Strange, through the Multiverse of Madness, through this show, through Iron Fist, through even probably through Daredevil. There are a whole lot of connections we can make, but I'm really excited to possibly see Moon Knight, Doctor Strange, one or two Ghost Riders. I mean, that show would be hella, that movie would be hella worth watching, I think. And it could probably give Morbius a chance to, um, well, no, no, I'm not, 
No, we're not gonna do we're, that. we're not going to start. Not gonna do it. We haven't not even discussed Morbius yet, so we won't even go there. Let's get back to Moon Knights. Just okay. Moon Knights. But yeah, so, I just want to get that off my chest. But so yes, maybe a while, a long time ago, I may have come across Midnight Suns at some point, but I do remember a Moon Knight Blade issue. Yeah, uh, maybe it was a Blade issue where Moon Knight was in, or vice versa. But you know, I went through a phase where where I I wasn't reading a lot. Well, I read a lot of comic books, but there there was a time when I completely stopped. Mm-hmm. But I do remember reading that. So other than that, that's all I knew of Moon Knight. Uh, I don't have any working knowledge. Well, he's he's mainly um, he's mainly a loner. So just to give a little highlight, because uh, the major run started in the eighties, but it started around seventy five. First, the appearance was in Werewolf by Night, uh, issue number 32. Um, basically, what it is, is that he is born and raised in Chicago, and he is the son of a rabbi. His name is Mark Spencer. And he Spencer. basically, spec- again, long day with the engineers at work. <laughs> All right, let me start over. So basically, he's the son of a rabbi, uh, Mark Spector. Uh, was born in Chicago, and he early on uh, has some issues with himself because the god Khonshu, who's the moon god, hence Moon Knight of ancient Egypt, becomes uh, interested in him, and he chooses him at a very young age to become his avatar. Now, that would be fine, except for the fact that uh, Mark starts developing dissociative identity disorder, and he meets this guy named Stephen Grant when he's a kid. And he and Steven are best friends, except for there's one problem. He's Steven. Okay, there's your first problem. So basically, he develops uh, a couple of different multiple personalities. He's a military guy. He's a businessman. He's a stockbroker. He's a he's a, a, a wino slash bum. Cab and then driver. Of course, a cab driver. And then he's also a, a world-renowned archaeologist. It's all the same person. But with him... He doesn't realize most of the time that he's five, six, eight, nine different people. And mm-hmm. when he does realize it, that's when he gets into trouble uh, and he gets into various fights. And, and, and like Mike said, you know, uh, the Midnight Suns uh, running around Punisher, a little bit of Spider-Man. Basically, he's one of those uh, Iron Man knockoffs that they try to create. Uh, back in the 70s, early 80s, trying to develop it because, like I said earlier, uh, when they did Demon in the Bottle with Iron Man, it was either you liked it or you didn't. It kind of pulled people away. That's when they threw Rhodey in as Iron Man in the early 80s. Still some of the best stuff they've done with Rhodey. But with him, they wanted sort of like a Batman-like character, but they decided to make him crazy with the thing. So basically with Moon Knight... Don't use the word crazy. No, this actually warrants it. It He actually is crazy. There, he, he is actually crazy. Um, I and I understand what you're saying, but no, no, no. This this is you you have to see further. Um, the other thing with him is that he is a very good fighter. He's got some really cool um, abilities, and he has a couple of people that hang out with him: Marlene, uh, Duchamp, 
who sort of like is a sidekick. He gets a few other sidekicks. And basically, he's one of the cooler characters. But if you read Moon Knight, then you obviously are one of those people like me who used to read comic books at lunchtime, you know, the corner of the cafeteria because you basically are a nerd. Um, he's a detective, proficient in martial arts, armed combat, utilizes high-tech equipment. He also has mystical visions. Uh, he used to have increased uh, strength, speed, endurance, depending on the lunar cycle. So basically, that's Moon Knight. Okay. Also, fun fact, um, he met Taskmaster, the real Taskmaster, not the, never mind. Okay, he met Taskmaster, and Taskmaster refused to fight him because Moon Knight would rather take a punch than dodge a punch. Right. So he doesn't really have a fighting style that Taskmaster can actually copy. Right. So Taskmaster would hit him, and he would just keep coming forward. So he's like, you know what, fuck this, I'm not doing this, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah, so, he, he doesn't care. And and, yeah, and a lot fun. of the stuff, uh, and the costume changes between dark gray, silver, and white. And it all depends on what personality goes into being Moon Knight at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it, basically, there's a lot of Egyptian stuff. There's a lot of goddess stuff. There's a lot of hieroglyphic stuff. Um, I was excited to see this because I couldn't think of them doing Moon Knight any other way than the way that they did this episode. And there's also a three-piece suit stuff, too. Which oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's like, that's the one poster that you've been seeing with him with the mask on. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, and the vest and the tie. That's my fave. That's just so sharp and tight. I, that that's just so fire. It's actually the, um, I actually put that as the home screen on my phone because that's just incredible. But yeah, I mean, this character is so good. It's so deep as far as, the things that he's been through, the things that he can do, the powers that he has and everything. He's a very complex character, but he's also a really fun character because you never know who's going to show up and who's going to take control. It's basically like a clown car where the clowns keep jumping from the back to the front to start driving. Like, he's like, no, my turn. No, I want to drive. No, I want to drive. So it keeps swerving back and forth. So Yeah, because he could literally be mid-fight and all of a sudden he can go from Mark to Steven to literally in the middle of a fight yes we yeah. saw some of that in this episode <laughs> yeah we did yes. yeah so like anthony i have no knowledge of moon knight and i i'm like i had never heard of this character before until they started announcing it um as one of the series that they were going to bring to disney plus and so i was in it for two reasons one because it's marvel and two because oscar isaac that was all i needed to know oscar's and- killing it we started seeing the promotions and the imagery and the posters and the trailers. And I was just like, whoa, this looks like it is going to be amazing. I was not prepared for how amazing the first episode was. And it's, you know, the the first episode, there wasn't a lot of action because we're being introduced to the character. And not just to that character, but there are three separate components to this character that we are getting in this first episode and you kind of get introduced to them slowly you start out with steven and then it just kind of morphs into steven mark and then you have the voice in the background and if you're not familiar with the concept of what the the character is going through as far as the um did you're just kind of like okay so what's going on so i like the way that they introduced all those components and i know that we've only met those three parts of his personality I'm sure they're probably going to add a few others during the course of this series. But um, let's talk about the episode because it starts out 
very interesting. You have this person who is doing, it's almost like some sort of ritual. You know, you have the the glass and they're taking the drink and then they take the cane and they smash the glass and they put the glass in their shoes and start walking. And I was just like, like my daughter, when she watched it, she looked at me like, what the fuck did we just watch? I have no clue. It's been compared to like the self-flagellation scene in the second um, Da Vinci Code movie where Paul Bettany was the monk and he would like beat himself on the back. Like, okay. it's Basically, self-flagellation is something that a lot of devout zealots do to repent of whatever little sin that they've done. I know what it is. I just, I've never seen Da Vinci Code. So it's not not in my wheelhouse. (laughs) I mean, I kind of threw it out there just because Paul Bettany was in it, but okay. I'm sorry, but I digress. But yeah, I, I could not watch that scene. I, even every every time it comes up and like I see now every time I see a pair of those sandals I get I start like go like Ugh. it's like my feet start curling up and I'm like I can't watch that no god that's just it was uncomfortable ugh. like you could hear when he slid his feet into the sandals you could hear the the crunch of the glass and I was just like why why is he doing this and then when he stands up of course with the cane and he walks off I'm like oh okay so this is supposed to be the antagonist I don't know much about the show but I do know that much you know that that is oh. Ethan Hawke's character. So yes, my. Okay. So I'm sorry. Since Lori can't be seen, I, I figure I'm, I'll I'll go ahead and raise my hand and be the one that gets excited. So Harrow is actually in the comic books. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Lori. Harrow is really not as big of a character as he's being made out to in in this series but we know how marvel does marvel usually gets smaller characters and builds them into bigger characters mm-hmm. to suit their needs but harrow is really he was only like a one issue character in the comic book like that, a one that or two sounds issue familiar character. yeah it's sort of like with they with wandavision how they made agatha way more than she is in the comic book. i mean she's there in the comic books but she's not as big as they made her in wandavision so yeah same same concept okay yeah, so shout out to Ethan Hawke for pulling out, like, for, you know, doing the doing the homework and studying David Koresh and doing all that other stuff that he did to get ready for this thing, because he was, like, heavy. Like, I literally was, like, I expect him to be drinking Kool-Aid at the beginning instead of water. I was, like, he is, like, heavy into it. But him and Oscar have done, like, really good work so far. Like I'm, they're, I'm, they're gl- I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up because I want to at least say something on this episode. So <laughs> Please. I'm I'm going to say, you know, we I know we want to get into the episode, but before we start, I just want to give a huge shout out to Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke. Because if I could pick an actor that could carry a series by themselves and being like 90% of the episode by himself, it would be Oscar Isaac. You know, like Hanukkah said about Zoe Kravitz, I could watch Oscar Isaac in a scene in any movie about anything ever. Absolutely. And and just watch mm-hmm. it. And Ethan Hawke is one of the most underrated actors of our time. And he was extremely like creepy and compelling all at the same time. And a little so charismatic to pick, too. Yes. And, and if I had to pick between two actors who could pull these roles off, it would be those two guys. And I absolutely love them. That's all. 
back, back to yeah. our regularly scheduled <laughs> <laughs> love fest. Yeah, from... I mean, he he did so good, and he was and he was basically soft spoken through the whole episode. He never raised his voice. He was really just like, even when he was talking to Stephen, he was like, "I don't want to ask again. I'm not going to ask again." You mean I as really far as when he was Mark? Yeah, when, no, when no, when he no, when he was when he was in the little village. Oh, you're talking about Ethan Hawke's character. Okay, yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, he was like, I don't want to ask. I'm not going to ask again. And he was like very even toned, mm-hmm. and it's just like, bruh. Those are the like, ones yeah, you have he, to watch out really for. The quiet ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And, and even after he realized that something was right with him, he was like, no, just just let him go. Mm-hmm. Just let him go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think he was like, okay we might need to examine this a little further to see yeah. what's going on. Because, I mean, it was obvious from the way Stephen was acting, like he didn't know what was going on. You know, you could kind of, there are some things that you can fake. And then there are some things that you cannot. And that whole scene with him trying to give him the scarab and not being able to like, i'm watching this knowing that this is a show and knowing that this is acting but the way oscar isaac controlled his body it really felt like he couldn't like it's almost like an invisible hand was there holding him like he just watching him on the screen just like a master class just just watch or when he forces his arm towards them, they start walking backwards. He's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. It was very <laughs> was, interesting. Yeah, for real. Like, I mean, he he's killing this. Like, he really is. Like, if you didn't have the, the auditory clues that someone else was doing this behind mm-hmm. the scenes, like, because you know he didn't have that when he was doing the scene. Like, he was literally doing that kind of, he was probably doing that basically on his own he probably had someone kind of yelling from the side do it but he was basically doing that mm-hmm. on his own like without hearing how we're hearing hearing it how we're hearing it so i'm like he's doing a fucking great job yep. right now so let's meet steven so steven's character when we're introduced to him he's waking up in bed and already when you start out again if you're not familiar with the character and what he's going through it's weird He's tethered to a pole in his bedroom by his ankle, which I automatically, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, okay, he must sleepwalk. And then when he gets out of the bed, he has the bed surrounded by sand, which again, weird if you don't understand what's going on. He's got painter's tape on the door. So there are different things that he is doing. And again, like I said, obviously he he must sleepwalk or so you would think, but what we find out later during the episode is that he has these episodes where he wakes up and he's in places that he doesn't remember going to. Um, I'm not sure if anything was ever as uh, extreme as what he went through in this episode, because at one point he falls asleep and when he wakes up, he's in the French Alps. And it's kind of like, um, I was in London just a few minutes ago. So, um, I have a coworker who actually has a friend who has DID. And so he was talking to that friend watching this episode because he wanted to know just like how right the writers got it. And according to him, the friend said, yeah, that they pretty much nailed it in this episode and, and talked about 
you know, other movies where DID is kind of uh, talked about or shown split being the more prominent one. And also, I think one of the more recent ones. And apparently that friend hated the way that they did split, but she loved the way that they kind of, you know, showed the different things that he does to kind of tether himself to reality in this episode. So I thought that was real interesting because again, I'm not very familiar with DID except for what we see on TV and films, because I don't know, uh, you know, personally, I don't know anyone who's ever been afflicted with that. So I don't know much about it, but apparently this show is doing a great job of kind of illustrating what a day in the life of a person with DID is kind of like. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, a lot of times, unless you watch a show like, or a movie like Sybil that is dedicated to being about the person with the idea, because mm-hmm. like Split was more of a caricature. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't necessarily meant to be accurate, but the shows or movies that you watch where it's accurately depicted is fairly close. Okay. Um, but it used to be called multiple personality disorder, mm-hmm. but um, in the DSV, they went away from using that term to um, dissociative identity disorder, which is pretty much what it is. Because it isn't always as clearly defined as it's shown in this movie. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more fluid. Okay. Than what it seems. Okay. Yeah. And here we go with Marvel again, shining light on mental disorders and giving them a face so that people don't see them as something to be feared or to be degraded about. Mm-hmm. They're actually putting a face on it where you can kind of see where you see it and they're like, oh, well, he's not really that different from me, except like he has the chemicals in his brain is a little off. So mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of makes people look at mental disorders in a different light. And I love how Marvel, with all the, they, they deal with certain mental issues in all these series, in all the series that they've had, they've dealt with mental issues. And I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's something that just kind of happened, but it kind of seems like they're doing it on purpose where they're trying to get people to see, to not like, like set out people who have mental disorders, but to kind of, to not single them out, but give them like, you know, that treat them like regular people or help them out. So I, I got to shout out Marvel for that. Yeah. So let's continue on with the story. As we said, Steven, you know, we're introduced to his character by kind of seeing his tethering methods as far as how he deals with what he believes is just a sleepwalking issue, you know, sleepwalking and blacking out. I think at this point it's, it's easy to assume that Steven is not aware that he has DID, you know, he just thinks that he sleepwalks and he, you know, blacks out a couple of times, maybe forgets some things. And so we see him go to his job. He works at the museum. And when you first see him at the job, it appears like he's one of the tour guys, like he's very knowledgeable about the exhibits that are there. You know, he's talking to one of the little girls who's they're kind of defacing museum property. Uh, again, I'm going to, this will be the second time I've said this, but as Casey says, that kid needs a whooping. You know, that's one of her favorite catchphrases when it comes to children not doing what they're supposed to be doing in a show. But, um, you know, so he's talking to this little girl about the Egyptian gods and deities that they have on display there. And he gets stopped by, I'm assuming she is his supervisor. But when I tell you, This bitch (laughs) is one of the characters, like she opens her mouth 
And after the first sentence, you're like, oh, I hate her. I absolutely hate her. Yes, Mike. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So let's go back. Uh, yes, I hate I hate that. She needs, she needs to get eaten by the alligator goddess too. But I digress. <laughs> let's go back a little bit. So the, he tells the little girl how they prepare mummies, how they get a hot poker. They go in through the nose and they pull everything out except for the heart. So that because they need the heart to go in the afterlife so they can be admitted into the field of reeds. And the little girl says, oh, is that what happened to you? How you got rejected from the field of reeds? He's like, no, because I'm alive. Right? Yeah, because I'm not dead. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. What were you about to say, Anthony? I was going to say, did anyone else have mummy flashbacks? I, I did. A ton. Absolutely. A ton. Absolutely. This is wondering if I was the only one. No, no absolutely. No, no. Okay. I think we need to watch out for this little girl. I think there's something, like, I think she actually, unless somehow she sends Mark Spector in there, because I think we're going to find, I'm sorry, I have a theory. I think we're going to find out that Mark actually got killed. And I think this is how it goes. Lori can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, this is how it goes in the comics that Mark was doing something. He got killed. Then Kanchu made a deal with him. He said that if he does something, if he becomes his avatar and does the things that he tells him to do, kills the people, you know, corrects whatever wrongs that Kanchu tells him to correct, then he'll free him and let him go and maybe come back to life. Yeah, because he was at an archaeological dig and it just went south very, very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, the retcon that I was reading earlier on wiki about how he as a child had sort of decided that he was going to have him no matter what that i think that might be new but yeah no he dig went wrong got got moon god stepped in hi let's make a deal yeah what did he do read a book that shouldn't have been read no No, don't open the book no harm ever come from reading a book (laughs) well 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 I'm rereading Lord of the Rings. That might be different. Uh, but yeah, by the way, Andy Sudeikis reading Lord of the Rings. Excellent. Highly recommended. It. It's actually enjoyable. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's something I, for, I forget exactly, but he was in a tomb. Something went left. He opened up, I think it was a coffin or something that he shouldn't open. And let's just say he died. Yeah, we, but we he all also, know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, like you said, mummy. But yeah, no, um, I, I'm curious too because they're throwing a lot of Egyptian stuff out at us right away. And usually with Moon Knight, you only get the Egyptian stuff every once in a while. It's more of his day to day stuff. So this should be interesting. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he's dealing with the bitchy supervisor. And then one of the other ladies who I guess is a tour guide comes over to him. And, you know, she just starts a conversation with him and she's like, yeah, so are we still on for tomorrow? And he's like, uh, tomorrow. She was like, yeah, steak, seven o'clock. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then he asked her, he was like, are you asking me out? And she's looking at him like, you're cute. See you tomorrow. So obviously again, this is where we kind of get the idea that there's something more going on with his character because he's obviously asked this woman out. And she said, yes. And he doesn't remember. And even the boss comes over and she was like, oh, so you shot your shot. I didn't know you did that. He was like, I didn't either. And she's looking at him. She was like, oh, yeah, great catch you are. And I was like, what is this bitch's problem? Like, I'm sorry I'm cursing so early on in the episode, but what is her problem? 
like from the minute we see her on the screen, she has it in for him. And I'm just like, something, I don't know. I feel like something's not right about her either. But I mean, now that I'm thinking about what Mike said about the little girl and her making the comment of, I guess, kind of insinuating that he's not alive. And he's like, yeah, but that doesn't make sense because I'm not dead. I'm like, okay, is I, I'm just, I'm curious, like, does she know that there's something strange about him? Is she even really that, like, I, I don't know. I'm just a little confused at this point. Like, why I mean, she is she so... Sees, she sees dead people. She has a sixth sense about her. Who, the little girl or the bitch? The little girl. Oh, okay. Which is the there. Okay. Thank you, sir. Dead people. Gotcha. Yeah, but anyway. So, Steven's character, he's interesting. Obviously, he's a little socially awkward which also adds to his confusion about having asked this woman out and her saying yes, because he, it looks like from what we see of him at first, he doesn't really have a lot of friends. Like he literally spends his evening sitting out by a statue, eating and conversing with the statue, you know? And then the other thing was when he leaves and he's saying goodbye to the security guard. The security guard calls him Scotty, which obviously is not his name. So I'm like, uh, is Scotty another one of his, you know, um, personalities? Like, is this how, like, I'm kind of wondering if different people in the museum have met him as certain people. Like, does the boss know him as Steven? And does the security guard know him as Scotty? And does somebody else know him as something else? Like, I'm a little confused okay mike you're gonna have to stop doing that because that's getting on my nerves just talk (laughs) i'm sorry i just don't want to interrupt you okay so yeah that that kind of got on my nerves but there's not a i don't think there's an altar that's named scotty so i don't know if he walked through and introduced himself as scotty or not also he invited her to steak even though he's vegan so that was kind of weird too but i really want to talk about the statue so one more time i have a theory um there have been a, a lot of things. Uh, you look at him, the way he converses with the statue and the stat, how, you know, I mean, everyone's seen the statue, like, you know, the guy he paints himself. He doesn't move unless you tip him and da, da, da. I don't think the statue is actually a person. I think the statue is a statue. And I think he's just sitting there talking to him. I, you know, and, I'm sitting here looking. Uh, uh-uh. clearly, it's a person. Clearly, a person. You, 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 because I'm looking okay, at it okay. now. It's, it's a person to Stephen. No, but Stephen sees things. Oh, so I know. It's, I look. I'm not dumb. I know it's a person. <laughs> I know it's a person with gold spray paint on it. So, duh, I know that. So what you're? I'm not saying that he wasn't a person painted in gold. I realize that. I know he's a person painted in gold. What I'm saying is that Stephen might see him as a person painted in gold, but he's actually a statue, like a literal statue. See, that's the funny thing because when I watched the episode the first time. I thought he was talking to a statue. It's only as I'm watching it in the background and I'm looking at Steven talk to him. And I'm like, why does that look like he has real eyes? And then when they showed the face, I said, oh, wait, that's like one of those living statues, like yeah. a person who yeah. is there as. So right. I was like, oh, wait, OK. So that's what I'm thinking, because I also I also don't think that his mom's alive. Either his mom's not alive or his mom's ignoring him because he keeps calling his mom and getting the answering machine and he keeps talking to his mom and he keeps saying every time he gets off with her he says later gator which kind of refers to a team who is like a part gator goddess and is part crocodile goddess 
So I'm just like, I, and it's just weird that, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing is really weird to me. I think it makes me kind of think that when he's Steven, he sees things one way. When he's Mark, he sees things another way. And when he becomes the cabbie, he'll see things maybe in an entirely different way. So I don't I, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you, but the reason why I think that's really just a mime is because if you pay attention to the background, you see someone twirling fire. So it's almost like this little performance area. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of performance art going on around there. So I just assume. And why would you tip you know. a real statue? Like the people who yeah. wanted to take the picture. And they got ready to leave. And Stephen was like, don't forget the tip. And they were like, oh, yeah. So there's like a tip hat right at his I mean, feet. Why would they tip an actual statue? Well, we'll see. Maybe he has a hat down there. And, he, and people think that he's he's just a vagrant sitting there talking. And they just don't want him to come chasing after them. Well, I'm going to go back to the, there's a bunch of other live performers around there, too. I just assume he was a mime performing just like okay. that so the the, the statue yeah, I mean, is supposed yeah. to be a character named crawley who at at various times is another persona and also is someone who actually helps uh moon knight out he is known for having his hat with a little like a little flower sticking out of it and uh it was loosely based upon batlash from uh dc comics batlash is a contemporary of of Jonah Hex and he's a screw up and he's uh, falls in love with the drop of a hat and has been known to get himself drunk and wind up in weird situations. And they sort of based Crawley off of Batlash. Hmm. Okay. Better than Batrock, I guess. <laughs> I am too fast. Yeah. So um, anyway, Stephen goes home that evening and we see him go through his little routine. He makes sure that his sand is there. He feeds his goldfish. Oh, speaking of, okay, so we got to talk about the goldfish because the goldfish actually becomes kind of important in this show. So he has a goldfish named Gus, right? Mm-hmm. And Gus is basically uh, Stephen's Nemo. You know, he's a goldfish with one fin kind of swimming off balance in the <laughs> in the uh, goldfish tank. And, you know, he feeds him. He talks to him, you know, has a conversation with him. I noticed that he has a lot of conversations with. He feels comfortable having conversations with things that can't talk back to him. And then it's the people that he can actually have conversations with when he seems more nervous and more uncomfortable. But yeah, so Gus is his little friend. Um, I can relate. So um, he comes home and he goes through his routine. He makes sure that, you know, the sand is uh, filled and undisturbed at the foot of his bed. He makes sure Gus is fed. He makes sure his doors are closed and that the painter's tape is over the um, seam in the door just in case he tries to go out. And then he tethers himself to the bed. But then he lays there with a Rubik's cube and he's throwing it up in the air and you hear in the background this um, audiobook, I guess. And it's supposed to be helping him to stay awake, which I'm guessing is something that he thinks will help his sleepwalking. Um, again, not very familiar with that aspect of any type of illness i know my son used to sleepwalk but that was a weird thing because he was a child he doesn't do it anymore but um 
So he does this and he's listening to the instructions for from the video and it's like, stay awake, think about certain things you can read. And so you see him kind of going back and forth between being awake and the reading. And it's kind of, you see it go back and forth, back and forth. So I'm assuming this is maybe over the course of a couple of nights. I don't think it's the same night, him going back and forth between the bed and the, and the books, because every time we see him with the books, he's reading kind of sort of the same thing, but you can see that he's highlighting things. And it just gave me the impression that this is taking place over maybe multiple, multiple nights. But what happens is at some point he does fall asleep. And when he wakes up, he's fully dressed He's in the grass and he's again in the French Alps. And he has a broken jaw. And he has a broken jaw. And it's uh, just kind of like, um, what? So when he set when he resets his jaw, oh my God, that sound. Just, just looking at the way his face was when he when he woke up, he's like, <laughs> like his face was completely Ugh. that looks painful. I should hurt my jaw doing that. <laughs> but he gets up and he, you know, he's turned around trying to figure out where the hell he is. And when he turns around, there's like this big building castle and there's a guy up there. He's like, hi. And the guy waves to him. Of course, you have a second guy like, what the hell are you doing? And Hold start up. shooting at him. Hold up, we got to go back. Because you you missed the whole conversation he actually has in his mind with Khonshu. Shout out to the great F. Murray Abraham for voicing Khonshu, by the way. We got we to gotta make sure make sure we give him his props. Because um, Khonshu says, oh, the idiot's in control again. And he continuously, I think this is going to be a running thing where he continuously refers to Stephen as the idiot that's in control when Mark is not running the body. Yeah. So... He's like, and he reaches in, he finds this, he finds a scarab, which is going to be very important later. And then he's, and it's like, he's like, give, give Mark control of the body. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, who's Mark? What? I, I felt, I felt so bad for him because he literally is like, I mean, one minute he's throwing a Rubik's cube in there, next minute he's in a field in somewhere, it looks like Switzerland with a broken jaw. And then he hears this voice in his head, this old voice in his head that sounds like someone who killed Mozart. And it's like, he has no idea what the hell's going on. Did you just say he sounds like someone who's killed Mozart? (laughs) Yes. Yes, What would that sound like? I'm just curious. F. Murray Abraham played the guy that killed Mozart in Amadeus. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. That's one of of my abstract film references. I apologize. I should have explained that ahead of time. I digress. I I think you and I are the only ones who saw Amadeus. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I I saw it. I mean, I remember seeing it, but it was so like probably when it first came out. this is why we're partners because you get all my obscure references. It's like I, I live for seeing you laugh at stuff where Hanukkah's like, huh? And it's like I, I love this little bottom corner of my screen. This is awesome. I, this is why I love you, Dodge. Why you my brother? Hanukkah, I'll have you know that back in way back in 1984 or 83 or wherever it came out, seeing Amadeus made you the cool kid for the week. Trust me. <laughs> for the week. It did. <laughs> It did. Not in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, in the Midwest, it, <laughs> it did. didn't make it, you a cool it came kid out in the winter. at all. <laughs> Look, that between that and, and some other, yeah, no, trust me. They 
Look, if you saw that at Dead Poets Society, you was the cool kid, as they would say. <laughs> I mean, that's Thomas Holtz's crowning achievement in his career, other than Animal House, I guess. Was he in Animal hey, House? Hey, don't knock Animal House. I love Animal House. No, I'm saying I do too. I love Animal House. I okay, know, so... can't review it, can't talk about it. It's, it's inappropriate <laughs> and all this sort of stuff, but it's still a good movie. Okay, so he gets shot. So let's go to him getting shot at. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys that are in the little castle or whatever, they start shooting at him like, as far as he knows, for no reason. Like, he just woke up there. He doesn't know. So I, I get, I'm guessing his sleepwalking problem is a bit more serious than he thinks because he wakes up in a whole different country, you know? So he starts running. He heads to the village. And of course, whoever these gunmen belongs to, they're all over the city. So he's running and he's trying to get away from these people and he walks smack dab into the middle of a, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's kind of like, again, we're going to go with the mummy references. I think that's just going to be the theme for the night. But you remember when Imhotep started gaining his powers and he started taking over people and the people were like walking blindly. Imhotep, Imhotep. It's kind of like the way the people in this village are doing. They're just not saying the names and they're not under any kind of trance. But as he's running, you see people like in crowds all going towards the center of the square. And it's weird because he realizes something weird is going on. And he's also trying to hide. So he puts his hood on and all of a sudden he's in the middle of the square. And Harold, uh, Ethan Hawke's character, starts walking through the crowd and of course everybody starts parting when he walks through again giving me serious mummy and emotep vibes because this happens in the mummy and he goes to the front of the crowd and he starts talking to them about this this goddess this god amet and he has someone volunteer to come up to be judged okay He places his cane in this person's hand and he moves it so that it starts swinging. And while he's holding this person, he has a tattoo of justice scales on his arm and the tattoo starts moving like it's weighing this person's character. It's weighing this person's soul. So basically what we find out during the course of the episode is that I met is one of these guys who got tired of waiting for people to be judged. So apparently she can see all, she can see where the whole course of your life takes you. And so he uses that, the power that she speaks through him to judge people based on who they are and what they're going to become. And if it's found that they are good, okay, cool, no problem. But if it's found that they are not, then apparently he also has the ability to like literally suck the life out of them because it happens. soul is mine. No, wrong movie. We are not talking about (laughs) Mortal Kombat. We're talking about- That's all I thought about. It's like, like, next thing you know, she's ashen gray and like falling back. I'm like, damn. But that's what Imhotep did. He used to suck the souls out of people when he was trying to regain his his body. Yeah. So yes, we're, we're sticking with the mummy. You just, yeah. But okay. anyway, okay. Real quick, let me get, let me get, let me mm-hmm. get. Um, 
So Amit is, she is a devourer of the dead. Her head's a crocodile, her body's a lion, her legs are hippopotamus legs. So she is like entirely fucked up. And this goes, this goes <laughs> back say, to- Nobody's been experimenting. Right. This, this, this kind of gives me a theory that in Egypt, they had a lot of children writing that, like describing what their gods look like. Because they're like, okay, kids, we're going to make a god of the dead. What should she look like? Yo, give her hippopotamus legs and give her, give her the head of a, of a crocodile and give her, give her, give her lion arms. They're like, okay, because this is like really weird. Plus, you have to admit that for us geeks, most of our first fandoms were either dinosaurs, Greek mythology, or ancient Egypt. Those were like one of the first things we became really passionate about that we bought books about, that we watched movies about, that we dressed up for Halloween about, that we wrote about, that it's one of the first things that we really treated like a fandom. So I think that for some reason, I'm getting the feeling that Amit, like she's a devourer of the dead, but I think that she really wants to get good souls as opposed to bad souls. Because Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the guy and I'm like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's all that good. And then you look at the old woman who is like freaked out because she's like, I've been good all my life. He's like, well, maybe you did something tomorrow that's bad, which is the worst explanation I've ever heard in my life. Like, really? Mm -hmm. She's like, well, she can see into the future. Maybe you're getting ready to trip some, trip some kid tomorrow. You know, you're doing bad. And I'm like, really? So I think that the, that Ahmed is really a bad God. And that she devours good souls and leaves bad souls. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of weird because Casey and I were talking about this, uh, dealing with The Walking Dead. And then also Michelle and I were talking about this earlier with Outlander. So it's so weird that when it comes to religion and judging people for certain acts or you know, possible acts that people tend to judge them based on, you know, the the quote unquote evidence that they have, but their ways of judging them is, is weird. It's kind of like uh, in the Outlander episode we were talking about today, there is a baby who was born with dwarfism and some of the little Presbyterian children on, on the uh, ridge, they placed him in a basket in the river because they wanted to see if he would float because their parents told them that children like that are demon spawn and if they were touched by the devil that they would float so that means if he wasn't touched by the devil he would drown right that's kind of what you would think is like the opposite you know the person who person who is good is is you know ends up dying to prove that they are good but the person who is evil still lives same way with the um, Salem witch trials, you know, when they had the weighing rock, okay, they placed this heavy ass rock on a person's body. And if the rock crushes them then Oh, they're not a witch and they're innocent and their souls will now be free to go to heaven. But if they were witches, then the rock wouldn't crush them. And then you would be able to hang them as a witch. It's, it's just, it's so weird how, the ways that you prove a person's quote unquote innocence are the ways that are deadly to them. So yeah, you saying that I'm like, that might actually make sense in a nonsensical way. That's my specialty. This is neither here nor there, but 
the reason why it was made that way was because their whole intent was to kill the person regardless. If you if you yeah. kind of know sort of what was the motivation behind the witch trials. I know, they were but still it. Same thing it with the with the weird looking children. Oh, if they survive, we put the crucible. Yeah, we put them out there in the woods and if the wolves eat them, you know, then they were bad and if the if they die out there alone, then they were good, but they're dead regardless. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like they also put witches in chairs and dunked them in the river. So if they floated when they're dead, they were good. But if they sank when they were dead, they were bad. So it's like it, it, people are weird. Throw rocks at them. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Um, anyway, so the weird part of this scene is that, you know, one of the guys who is chasing after Stephen, they, they come up to Harold and they tell him they was like, yeah, so we have a little issue with the ex- I think he said with the exchange. And the person is still here. You know, Harold says, did you catch the person? No, we think he's here somewhere. So Harold speaks something in Egyptian and everybody bows down. Of course, Stephen has no idea what's going on. So he's the lone person standing up. And once he realized everyone is bound, he's like, oh, wait, hold up. The bollocks. <laughs> right. But at this point, you've already been spotted. So Harold knows that you have this scarab. Again, I'm guessing something happened in order for Stephen to end up in that field and then also for him to have a broken jaw, like something had to have happened and for him to end up with that scarab in his pocket. And he just doesn't know what. So we go through this theory. thing. I th- oh, oh, I think he was. Well, what, wait, yes, wait, I have wait, a theory. Wait, 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 because I'm assuming oh. he jumped out of the window and that's why his jaw was broken. He landed, he died, and then Kanshu brought him back. Well, yeah, because the other thing is when the um, when the guard goes to Harrow and he says there was a problem with the exchange, someone killed two of our men. Yeah. But we didn't see any dead bodies around him. Yeah, he because he jumped. And, you know, this, this may be a little, it's not really a spoiler, but there was one of the trailers shows him falling out of the window. So yeah. I, I think wow. what's going to happen is they're probably going to show us these all the times that Mark was in control in the future episode. So we'll actually see yeah. what happened um, mm. because in the trailer, it does show him falling out of the window. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's, you know, beside the point. That's interesting. Cause I don't think I've seen, I'm trying to think if I've seen that trailer. Or yeah, if I did, I probably thing. just didn't put two and two together. Right. Because they, they showed the they showed the guy in the back of the cupcake truck falling out of the cupcake truck. Then they show him falling and falling in, going like, oh, like the this. cupcake truck. <laughs> I can't wait to get to that. But yeah, I think Anthony's on to something. I mean, from what comes up next, I think they're definitely going to show a lot of things that happen when Steven kind of blinks out and then mm-hmm. comes back. Like there's a lot of stuff in between. It kind of reminds me of how we looked when with Hawkeye with um what what's her name during the snap like you see her washing her hands then she poofs then comes right back mm-hmm. like I think that's kind of the same thing when he has his episode like he like he'll 
he'll pass out, then he'll come back, but he thinks nothing happened. He he doesn't sense the time that's left in between when right. he goes out and comes back. So I think I think that we're going to end up seeing a lot of what happened with Mark and control between those times. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, we do kind of get some of that in this scene because once Harrow realizes that Mark has the scarab, um, you know, Mark, uh, excuse me, I'm saying Mark, once he realizes Stephen has the scarab, Stephen is trying to get away. And of course, Harrow has these people under, I won't say he has them under spell, but it's obvious that they are they are protecting him. They are following him. Like, I think it's kind of blindly because they, again, they don't look like they're in a trance, but they, they try to capture Steven and, and try to get the scarab from him. And he goes on this little, you know, he's trying to fight them off. He's trying to get them off of him. And then all of a sudden you see his eyes roll in the back of his head. And then when he wakes up, he's got blood on him. He's got blood on his hands. And all of these goonies are, dropped dead in the um street so he's like oh wait what the hell just i you know i don't know what's going on i know you're mad at me he's telling harold he was like i i don't know i I don't know what's going on i don't i don't i don't know how he got your scarab i don't know why i can't give it to you he's just like at this point just kind of confused about everything that's going on so he steals the nearest vehicle so that he can get away and it just happens to be a cupcake truck and this leads to one of the uh more interesting car chases i've seen because first of all there is no way i'm doing a car chase on that damn hill with all those damn curves absolutely not (laughs) and half the time he's not even he doesn't even know what's going on He's driving. These people are following him. Someone actually jumps from the car to the cupcake truck, gets into the cupcake truck and is like fighting him while he's driving. And he's again, he's confused. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. He's like, why are you guys trying to like what's going on? He blacks out again. And when he wakes up, he has the gun in his hand. And the person who jumped onto the cupcake truck is now at the back of the cupcake truck dead and again, he's just trying to figure out like, what the fuck is going on? So the people are still chasing him. He narrowly avoids being hit by a log truck and he's panicking. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And he's panicking again. And then you see him black out again. And when he comes to, he's like, I'm driving this truck backwards on a hill with no curves. No windshield. And it's just that when I tell you this car chase scene was just so funny because he's fighting and then he's trying to figure out what's going on. And then the people are coming after him. And after he's um, backwards in the truck, you know, he stops the truck. One of the SUVs comes around, they get out of the truck. And then all of a sudden you got falling logs from the damn mountain coming and knocking them down. I was like, what in the hell is going on here? Like what? And he's looking, trying to figure out what the hell's going on. He's trying not to get crushed. You got the windshield wipers wiping a non-existent <laughs> windshield. There's just a lot of chaos going on here. No, and- when he also when he when he came back to when he was driving backwards and he saw the other car still chasing him, he threw the gun. He country said, "The idiot threw the gun." 
Yes. He threw the gun. He threw the gun. (laughs) I just, when I say it was chaotic, but this scene was one of the most fun scenes I've ever seen because he literally has no clue what the hell is going on. And watching him try to figure this out, it was just. (laughs) The the best part was the logs from earlier came rolling down the hill and knocked them off. Like perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because he, here goes one guy off and here's another one gets crushed. And as the logs are about to fall on his uh, on the cupcake truck, he wakes up in his bed like. ah, And then he looks around and he starts laughing because he thinks that this has all been a dream. So I'm like, at this point, I'm so confused. I, the funny thing is. You know, he takes the tape to see, you know, he takes his tether and he takes the tape and you don't realize all Mark is doing is putting the tape back and putting the tether on his leg. Yeah, like, that's what I think. Jumping over the sand. Like, it's like, you know, that there's nothing. <laughs> but then the question, I guess, well, I guess that's answered later on in the episode because we realize that Steve, when Steven goes for his date, he realizes that you know, the date doesn't show up. And then when he calls her to find out why she's late, she's like, um, I was at the date two days ago. And what he thinks is Friday is actually now Sunday. So I was going to say, but that would be confusing. Cause I would be like, how did he get from home to the Alps and then back home? Like, and so I'm guessing with his condition, he, when he blacks out or when he is um, when he's not in the front seat or in the driver's seat, as, as they say, it can be for long periods of time. It's not necessarily like a short period of time. It could be days, maybe weeks, maybe. It, I mean, it, var- it varies. The, okay. Yeah. Some people it's, it can be instantaneous. It can, okay. it can last for weeks, days, hours. It depends on the person. Right. Because I think later on when he's in his apartment and he figures out that there's, you know, a phone and a key that's hidden in the apartment, the person who's been calling him when she finally gets through, she thinks she's talking to Mark. She's like, I've been calling you for what she say, weeks or months. I think she said months. Said months. months. Yeah. Yeah. So, OK. So that means at some point, Stephen has been in control of his life for a long time or maybe whenever this thing happened in the Alps I guess that's what you guys are saying that when Mark makes the deal makes the deal with Kanshu that okay if you do what I tell you to do I'll put you in a new body or whatever is that do you think when he de- developed the DID or am I no, like I think he's sort of always had it yeah he's, okay. he's had it he's, from like he's always had it yeah, yeah, it's it's he it's it didn't show itself until like he was like nine or ten. But okay, I yeah, know he's always had it. Okay, so my question is: in the comics, which one is the dominant personality? Like, which one is the actual person? Mark. Is it? It's Mark. okay. Mark. Okay, yeah, Mark Spector. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. But it's like I mean, you have to look at it like, I mean, a lot of people. If there was a movie, um something i can't remember what uh, not not basic instinct it's a movie with mike the michael douglas and edward norton jr primal 
Primal Fear? Was it Primal Fear? Yeah, where Edward Norton has, I think he has dissociative identity disorder. (laughs) And he was, because he got got nominated for it. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Well, he acts like he does, like where it's like, where he where he gets in situations of enormous stress and he switches. So that, okay. that was thank, that, thank you for spoiling. Since I since I only saw that part of it, I guess never mind my point. Yeah, that, that was things, that Thanks, that man. was sort of uh, exaggeration of the weird. condition, but that was there. Yeah, wow. mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I'm just saying like it it, it just depends on the level of stress, like you know, and the willingness of one identity to want to give in to the other identity like there's only room for one identity at a time so one identity has to be willing to step into the back seat it's just like um that's not hold on that that's not necessarily true either okay so i'm I'm thinking about what's don't don't confuse yeah don't 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 confuse movies with with what the the actual condition okay Okay. Uh, you you have a point you're right okay yeah, I mean, so does that does that negate what you were trying to say, Mark? Uh, Mike, I was about to call you Mark because I mean he's no, he's no, right. No, I'm he's Steven. right. He's he's right as far as there are times when stress can affect it. That's, I mean, that's one of the reasons the Hulk is the way he is, and why we have Doctor Jekyll right. and Mister Hyde. Right, which right. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde doesn't have anything to do with stress. It's just when the desire overtakes him. So. It's just that let's just try not to make it seem that this right. is something that actually is a thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like stress doesn't necessarily make it happen. And there isn't yeah. ne- necessarily always a dominant. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Stephen wakes up in his apartment. Like I said, he's tethered to his bed. It looks like all of his, um, his traps, his, you know, booby traps are in place so he thinks he's just kind of, you know, dreamt the whole thing with the Alps or whatever. He's sitting there eating and he looks over to talk to Gus and he goes back to watching TV. And then all of a sudden he turns and he looks at Gus. And then the next thing we know, Gus is in a blender picture at the pet shop and Mike's, <laughs> Mike's screen name is Where's Nemo? Because um, Gus is not Gus. You know, he is a regular goldfish with two fins and swimming perfectly fine. And Stephen is at the pet shop like, okay, so I need to know what's going on here because this is not the same goldfish that I bought unless goldfish all of a sudden grow back fins. And of course, the pet shop owner is kind of like, haha, you're very funny. You show me another pet store that's going to sell a disabled fish, you know? <laughs> and and she makes a comment about him being there. He was like, I've never been. She was like, you were here yesterday. And he was like, what? I, so I again, have one gripe with Mark. Mark should have been smart enough to know to get an auto fish feeder and he wouldn't have to worry about this situation. Yeah, because I was not a say, dog or a cat. You can do that. But is, you can get an auto feeder yes. for a fish. My, my nephew is going to see this episode. He's going to be like, because my, my nephew is a aquarium enthusiast. Like he has a saltwater tank and a freshwater tank. He has everything. He has mm-hmm. an auto feeder Damn. that auto feeds the fish. And he would have been like, that would have been one of the first things you do. If you have a very specific type of fish, how like 
Like the woman said, but how you know are you ever going to get another disabled fish? Like, <laughs> But if you think about it, so like we said later on in the episode, Stephen finds the cell phone that belongs to Mark and it's been hidden. And the person who's been trying to call Mark has said that she's been trying to call Mark for months. So maybe Mark didn't realize about the fish because of course, if Stephen bought this fish, Stephen is the one who's been talking to it. It's his friend, his pet. Mark probably would not have thought about the fact that there needs to be an automatic feeder, especially if Mark has not been, you know, in the driver's oh, right. seat for months. Right. So he takes Stephen on this little adventure to the Alps. And when they come back, Gus is dead because obviously they've been gone for at least two days. Because like I said, Stephen thinks that he's supposed to be going on a date. And it's two days after when the date's supposed to be. Mark comes back to the apartment, sees that Gus is dead his thing is, oh, okay, well, we can't let this happen. Steven needs his fish. Let's go get another fish. He probably didn't think about an automatic feeder. He, and at this point, he if you buy an automatic had, feeder. He had the foresight for everything else, but he didn't have the foresight for that. But think about it. If Gus fish. was new, if Gus was new, if he acquired Gus during the months that Mark was in the rear seat, he wouldn't have thought about, oh, okay, yeah, we need to plan for this precaution. It's new. He's new. Just saying. I'm just saying. Why would Mark think about a fish if he doesn't know that that Stephen has a fish until they come back from the apps? And he's like, oh, there's a dead goldfish in the tank. He takes the time to put the tether back on, to put the tape exactly back where it was to make sure the sand is perfect. He couldn't take a moment for the fish. But that's what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying. I I got you. I got you. Mark has been in the background. Mark has not been in the driver's seat. Mark has been dormant. So Stephen has been the one that's been doing all of this because Stephen thinks he has a sleepwalking disorder. But if he just recently purchased this fish, but he's the one that's, that's present, why would he need to think about getting the automatic feeder? It's obvious from Steven's lifestyle, he doesn't really go out. He doesn't have any friends. So as far as he knows, as far as Steven knows, this is my only friend and I'm here every day. So I'm going to be here to feed him. He probably wouldn't think that he needs an automatic feeder. Yeah, but but Mark is getting out and getting around because he made the date with the, the chick. So it wasn't like yeah, he hasn't happy. been coming he's out. He's not gone for like to, more, than one, more than one evening, though. But Unless not, it wasn't Mark for. that made the date. I think, I swear she said Mark. I, thought I don't, no, I don't think she, I don't, don't think, think she, she called him Mark. No, 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 Layla said Mark, not the girl that went on a date. Those are okay. two different women. Don't get confused. So, yeah, Layla, Layla is the person who was I, the, I, yeah, calling but on the I phone. thought the, the girl at the museum called him Mark. Mm-mm, because he had on his Steven tag and she called him Steven. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it could have been somebody else. I mean, I don't want to get everyone Steven. up in the tizzy about the fish feeder, but I'm just saying. Just saying you know, he, 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 I'm so he, enjoying you know. listening to you guys go back and forth. <laughs> this is so much fun. Drexel is going to love that we talked about feeding the fish for 10 minutes. <laughs> He's going to love it. It's like, it's like se- it's seven eighths of a goldfish. <laughs> we ain't going to be, be sitting here putting the automatic feeder for seven eighths of a goldfish. At least he didn't trim the fin off. That would then be like, oh, hell no. They couldn't they can even suggest that. That would have been that, 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 exactly, that would have over. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That would have been terrible. But no, he actually just bought the fish, put it in there, and 
tilted his ankle and was like, okay, come on back. Then there you go. So anyway, after, you know, as he's figuring out that something's not right with fish and he looks at the time, he was like, wait, it's, it's five something. I, I literally just woke up. So apparently he's also lost time because he doesn't realize that it's late. He's like, oh, wait, I have a date tonight. He goes, he gets ready for this date. He gets to the restaurant. And of course the date doesn't show up, which I already was like, oh, you missed that date. You absolutely missed that day because she looked like she was into him when she reminded him about the date. So he calls her and she basically goes off on him. She was like, yeah, I had steak by myself two days ago. He was like, but we were supposed to meet today. Today is Friday. She was like, it's it's Sunday. Dimwit. He was like, no, Friday comes after Thursday. She was like, and that doesn't change the fact that it is Sunday, which means lose my number. And she hangs up on him, and not before not before she says cheers. She's like, "Lose my number, cheers," and hangs up. Like she's so friendly, like she's so nice. Like you know, like you're dumping him, but actually saying cheers before she dumps him. Like that's sweet. But this poor man, he's just sitting there. He's so dejected because he has no clue what just happened. He's like, "Wait!" And the 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 waiter comes by. He was like what is today? And the waiter's like, Sunday. He was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> then he's like, okay, well, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have the steak. <laughs> and the waiter's like, sure. How would you like to have that steak? Good. I, I would like a good steak. And again, we have to remember he's vegan. So he probably has never ordered a steak in his life. But he was so dejected. He was like, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat the steak." And he, he's like, "I'll, I'll do it. Well done." I was as a as a waiter and a steak aficionado. I was angered by this whole end of this scene. I well, I like, think don't take advantage of that poor man. Are you I think me? he was already upset because one, Mark had been there for. I mean, Stephen had been there for a while waiting for his date, and even just the way he came to him, he was like, "Are we still waiting for someone?" Stephen was like, "Yep." He was like, it's not looking good, though. And the waiter was like, <laughs> like, whatever. Like, he had that air like, yes, yeah, if somebody is meeting you for dinner. I didn't like that waiter. I don't like yeah, most of the people that Stephen interacted with. Though. I'm noticing that in this, this episode. I don't like most of them. Because the little kid was kind of a shit to him. And the person who whose back he accidentally fell asleep on on the bus was kind of like get off of me and oh, I would have done the same thing if someone would have leaned on me and tried to fall asleep on me too I would have been like I mean I understand but it's not like he had much choice I mean they were on that bus like sardines they were like yep. packed in there so yep. yeah but he full on leaned on him though he probably fell asleep I have been I have been standing on the martyr train holding on to the guardrail and the motion of the train will just kind of lull you to sleep. So I can see that happening, but the guy didn't have to be so mean about it. It's not like he did it on purpose. And then of course the bitch boss and then now the waiter and then Khonshu has been like calling him an idiot. I'm tired of people being mean to him. Stop laughing at me, Anthony. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> he's not allowed to have meaningful personal relationships. I guess he can't. He can't have anyone start to get to know him because then they'll realize something is wrong. 
I guess, but you know, that, that kind of explains the whole phone conversations with mom through voicemail message. Cause Mike, I think you're right. I think his mom is dead or maybe just doesn't exist or, or I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think mom is ever answering the phone. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, and then, just, yeah, go ahead. Here's something else that I have, I have seen. So, um, couple of people, uh, most notably Theories by T that we follow on TikTok, made a comment about Mark's English act. I mean, excuse me, about Stephen's English accent, because he's like, it's not really, it's not really a bona fide English accent. It's kind of like in between what an accent, what a British accent is supposed to be from various regions. And someone pointed out that maybe the accent is actually supposed to sound a little fake because Mark was like Lord said, he's from the States. He's from Chicago. And so maybe it's this Stephen persona who, who is supposed to be British and is speaking with this accent, but Mark doesn't really know what a British accent sounds like. So he's just using his best guesstimation. But I was thinking maybe that's another reason why mom is not picking up the phone because one, she doesn't recognize the voice that that's calling. And she's just like, okay, she's hearing these voicemail messages. And she's probably like, who the hell is this? Like Steven is calling, but maybe it's Mark's mom. I don't know. There's, I mean, it's only one episode in, but there's like so many questions I have about this character and the other personas within him and how they all interact with people that Stephen or Mark or whoever comes into contact with on a day-to-day basis. Because again, at this point, Mark is supposed to be the dominant personality, correct? But it looks like for the last few months, Stephen has been the dominant personality. So it's like, is Stephen living Mark's life or is Mark living Stephen's life? Or it's just, I have questions. Depends on what day it is, to be honest with you. It literally depends on the, it literally depends on what day it is. Sometimes midday, yeah. you know, he, he is, okay, they're saying he has this disorder, but in the comic book, I always put it down to the fact that he had one too many uh, people in his head and he couldn't help himself. Um, he never comes across as being, um, just doing it just to do it it just it just hits them but my thing is is that growing up reading a comic book it always seemed like he was the kind of guy that once he wrapped his head around okay today i'm steven or today i'm mark the other personalities would get upset and would sort of boot them out so they could be in like you said the driver's seat it's it's something that he literally has had all this life and he literally can't control. I mean, the moments that he's actually lucid is actually a good thing because he can actually um, think because like I said, he does so many different personalities with so many different things. And like he talks to himself, he thinks he's this person, he thinks that that's person. He is seeing things that's all in his head all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten to the point where uh, there's a couple of times where he's just one person for like a year. And he actually starts to miss the other people because he doesn't feel quote unquote whole unless he's got all of them. And then after about a couple of months, a couple of weeks, months, he forgets that he that he wanted to be by himself and it sort of goes back and forth. 
Yeah. And I mean, I understand that. And I, I know that um, at least from my understanding of DID, I know that there's, like I said, there is a dominant personality and it's not necessarily who the original person was, like who, who the whole person was before their, before their mind fractured. Um, and usually that dominant personality is the one who can kind of control how things go. But we also know that the persona that comes forward also is a trauma response. So you have different personalities that are able to deal with the different traumas that a person has faced or different aspects of their life. So I guess at this point, again, like I said, we're only one episode in, but I'm curious to see like which one of them is supposed to be the dominant personality. Like is Mark the actual dominant as far as the owner of the body or is Steven the dominant you know, at least until something like traumatic or something hard comes out, because obviously Mark is the one that's like the mercenary. He's the fighter. He's the one that protects the body, protects them. And we see that because every time Stephen blacks out and comes back too, you got bodies on the ground. You got a you got a dead person in the back shot you you've got the maneuvering of the truck and the driving skills because Stephen even says why am I in this truck I don't even have my license like he doesn't drive so I'm just curious to see like and and hopefully like Anthony said we'll probably see where they kind of explain how we got to this point in the Alps like we might see some flashbacks and how the different personalities come to take over I mean we see at the end of the episode when Stephen is fleeing from the hellhound that he's panicking and this thing is about to get him and this is when he finally sees mark and acknowledges that there is something someone talking to him that's him and mark is like give me control i can take care of this but you got to give me control and he's sitting there fighting against no this is not real you're not real this is just a voice in my head like literally yes it is a voice in your head but that's the physical representation of that voice. And so once Mark takes over, you start to see him change. You start to see, you know, kind of like, again, the whole Imhotep thing. When, when he started getting a body, you kind of see the little, you know, things take over. And then, of course, that's when we get the, um, the Moon Knight suit, which the way that they present these, these com- uh, costumes like the white, the dark gray, the gray is so clean. And they're so like, they're beautiful. I don't know any other way to describe it, but you get to see that part of the personality take over. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is, this is going to be really interesting. But yeah, I kind of like, now that we see how they've introduced Steven's personalities I just kind of want to see how they are going to explain like who has control how do they determine which one gets control I mean again obviously Mark is in control when they are in danger but how does Steven break forth and and gain control especially if they're looking at him like he's the idiot like why would we ever willingly give him control of the body so what is it about steven's personality that brings him forth i'm just kind of curious to see how they're going to 
explain all of that and work that in the story. And then with everything else that he has going on, it's just kind of like, it's, it's a lot to, it's, it's a lot to keep up with, you know? I don't know. I think things are starting to change because maybe, you know, Mark being the original, maybe Mark Spector was the original personality and, um, to deal with some trauma, he created all these other personalities. But it, it seems that Mark isn't as in control as he used to be because he's mm-hmm. having to now ask. Um, the, as the episode went on, he seems to have to ask for control. Like he right. can't, he, he was able to take it a couple of times, but it seems like it was getting harder and harder for him to take control. To the point mm-hmm. where he literally has to ask Stephen to give him control. Mm-hmm. So maybe that Stephen's personality, it, it seems like whoever's in the driver's seat has more control than they used to. Or maybe that Stephen is getting more control when he's in the driver's seat. Maybe as he's becoming more aware. Yeah, it seems Because like again, at the, the beginning. The more aware he becomes, yeah. the more power he has. Okay. She never had it before. And everything that Mark has done has been to keep Stephen from finding out that right. he has other personalities. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like ever since, like, it's kind of a given that, like, Mark dies and Kanshu gives him another shot. But it's like, maybe, maybe those other, his other personalities are being used to shield Mark. Kanshu says, you promised me the idiot wouldn't interfere. <laughs> he did. He did. So he, yes. Yeah. But then, so, like I said, I feel like, so at the beginning, we see Steven, and like I said, he seems to think that he has this sleepwalking disorder, and that's what he's doing, trying to keep himself from sleepwalking, trying to keep himself from leaving the apartment. And then as the episode goes by, you hear like he hears Kanshu call him Mark or address Mark or say something about give Mark control. And of course, he doesn't understand what he means. He's like, what are you talking about? But at the same time, he's like, I'm talking to a voice in my head or I'm talking to a voice that I hear what the hell is going on. And then when he gets the phone call on Mark's phone from Layla and she was like, Mark, well, you know, why are you asking me? Who, who, who I am, what's going on with you? And he was like, why did you just call me Mark? Why did you just call me Mark? So I think as the episode goes on and he starts maybe putting some pieces together, maybe he still doesn't understand that it's DID, but he does realize that there's something like, there's a person named Mark involved in his life some kind of way. And he's not sure how, but the more he starts to piece that together, like you said, he starts being more in control and Mark has to be like, okay, hey, we're in danger. We have a hellhound coming after us. I think you need to let me take control. And Stephen is sitting there. No, this is not happening. This is not real. This is not real. And I think the more he's convincing himself that it's not real, that's when Mark starts to lose his grip mm-hmm. until he's like, yo, dude, um, if you don't let me take control, you're going to die or we're going to die. Just let me do this. And then you see Steven kind of go, okay. Do you call him Hillhound? They're jackals. Well, I, to call me, I know you call him Hill. 
They're hellhounds to me. They're pretty hellhoundish. They're, they're jackals. Yes. Hellhounds are completely different. But see, I couldn't see what I couldn't really get a look at what they were because it was moving so fast. So of course, me being a supernatural person, you when you see something hellhound. like that, that's that's a that's a fucking hellhound. I think so, it's yeah, a combo. Whatever. I think it's a combo because I I was with Hanukkah go oh supernatural, <laughs> right? But um, okay, so if it's okay, if it's a jackal, you know, whatever, uh, a demonic animal that's trying to eat you. That's all I need to know. So, but yeah, it, it's it's just that whole thing was interesting. And then, you know, I like the, the subtleties that they put into both of these characters, because even when you see when Stephen is in the apartment and he hears, I think it was, was a conscio or was it Mark at this point talking to him or calling his name, Stephen, Stephen, he starts looking around. Okay. And he Mark. starts looking around and when he goes into the bathroom of course, the light is off, so we don't get to see the actual reflection. You kind of see the silhouette of the reflection, but you can tell there's like a slight difference in the silhouette, even though you can't you can't say specifically what it is at that point. But when you see him in the reflection in the bathroom as he's running away from the demonic animal, you look and the, the slight difference, their hair is different. Like Stephen's hair is kind of straight and it's kind of all over the place. And Mark has this weird, like curly cue stuff going on with his hair. Very slight, but enough to make you understand that this is not the same person. And I think for Stephen to look at that and be like. It sort of very goes back to what Mike said earlier, especially about Oscar Isaac, the physicality. Mm -hmm. Like he completely changes how he carries himself when he's Mm -hmm. Mark. He walks mm-hmm. with more confidence. He stands with more confidence than mm-hmm. he does as Stephen. And it's, it's right. really apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just He's I, killing this role. Like I said, watching him is just kind of like that's that's a master class on screen. Just just watch how he moves, watch, watch how he works. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm just saying. But um right. How he discovers yeah. the secret hiding space, he just happened to look. So I think the walls are starting, the wall is starting to come down between him and, and Mark because mm-hmm. he finally notices some of the things in the apartment that don't look right. Yeah, like the, like the, like the scrape marks yeah. up under the table. And when he pulls it over, he's like, okay, he stops it right where it stops. And you have to think about it. For that to be a cement floor i think that was a cement floor was it wood but whatever that table has been moved so many times that you have the indention in the table and it's kind of like he's looking at it like how did i not notice this before like how how many times it's it's almost as if mark is is getting sloppy like i think i think from him getting back from switzerland dusseldorf or wherever the hell he was like he just, mm-hmm. I mean, and he was in a panic. He saw the fish was dead. He was like, fuck, I gotta fix the fish. So he fixes the fish. Then he gets everything else done. He puts everything up where it's supposed to be. He kind of fixes the rug haphazardly. Mm-hmm. So you can still see the scratch marks. Then he's like, okay, I gotta buckle it. I gotta buckle it and put the sand back. Then I gotta knock out because it's getting ready to come back. Then he nods out, comes back, and he's like, fuck, my, my, wait, what is my fish? Then he goes through the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I think that I think that it is probably just because Mark was 
And Mark probably is dealing with Conchu too, when you're thinking about it, because Conchu is the one that he has to deal with. So Conchu is probably like, why is this idiot all of a sudden very conscious? Yeah, we have to do something about it. Conchu does not like Steven. At all. <laughs> the idiot. Despises him. The idiot. Like, stop being so mean to him. He doesn't know that he's a, a, another personality in somebody else's body. He doesn't know he's hitchhiking, you know, but... Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I said, yeah. it, it's interesting to see how how they're doing this and to try to figure out because, you know, like Stephen, when he goes back to work, which is weird to me because I'm like, OK, so did Stephen have a day off and, and miss Friday at work and, and nothing happened? Because, you know, with that boss, he should have been fired. I think I think she's probably he's probably the most loyal employee she's ever had based on her personality. So like who would want to work for her? <laughs> like she no, fires him, somebody comes in, right. she has to train someone new. That person is like, oh, she's a bitch. I quit. No, she's gonna yeah, keep, oh, hell no. Yeah, she's gonna keep Steven around. And can yeah. we talk about the razor phone? Like, when was the last time you saw a razor? <laughs> Razor. Shout out to the Razor. That was I, I love that phone. Are they coming out with a new model? Because I know they tried to bring it back a couple of years ago. <laughs> I believe they are. Oh my god! Or I, I believe they may already have. I think they tried. Yeah, there's a there's there's a there's a screen version one. Mm, okay. Oh, wow. a, a screen one you can touch the screen. It looks really cool. Oh god, no. But that yeah. looked like an original one. That doesn't look like a newer version. No, that was that was, that was an OG. That's like a, a track phone version of it. Like, how was Steven even keeping that thing charged? Like, you really kept the charger for that long? Because if Steven is like any of us in that age range, he probably has a bag full of old cords <laughs> from 10 years ago that he Thanks. still has access to. We don't throw that stuff away. If he has, you know, and that's one of those, like, probably a burner phone, one of the phones that you just go buy in the box and mm-hmm. use it and then throw out so oh, well. but um okay so let me ask a question because was Khonshu the big gray figure that he encountered in the hallway and then that yes, was yes. on the side of the street okay that's I w- okay because after he you know after he sees um himself in the bathroom mirror and he hears the voice all of a sudden you know the lights start flickering in his apartment it's almost like it's almost like an earthquake is about to happen you know because the building starts shaking things start falling so he runs out and runs to the end of the hall to the elevator first of all if my building is shaking the elevator is the last place i'm about to be i'm going down the stairs but anyway so he tries to go to the ground floor and for whatever reason, the elevator keeps putting him back on the fifth floor. So like I said, this, this figure starts walking towards him and Khonshu, like I've, I've not had a chance to like really, really take a look at him. But first of all, he looks like he has on one of those plague doctor masks. And then he's, he's kind of wrapped like a mummy. And then he has a scythe, right? That is a scythe he has. It looks like a scythe. Yes. So yes. he's just like this weird mi- mishmash of all these different types of things. And as Kanshu is approaching the elevator and he falls, it turns out it, it's just this old woman. Now, my question is, was that really an old woman or was that just what his like 
what his brain was. Oh, okay. No, that, that was an old woman because she kind of freaked out. <laughs> she right. was freaking out at Mark. I mean, right. at Stephen. Like, yes, this is my. This, yes, I'm busy. My friend, this is my door right here. So mm-hmm. don't come, don't come and mess with me because I'm knocking on her door really hard right now. Yeah, it's probably not her. It's just someone else. Please open the door so I can get away from this crazy motherfucker, please. So he turns around and Kanshu is right there in his face. And Kanshu's mask kind of looks like a, it looks like a bird skull, you know. I've it, it, it's that's just what it looks like. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and he's on a bus, and I'm like, wait, like, so what happened when Kanshu confronted him in the elevator? Did Mark then take over and get on the bus, and then he he, he again took over the body? He goes to the, you know, he goes to the museum and Harrow is there and has found him and apparently has people there, you know, looking for Stephen because Harrow didn't believe him when he said, yo, I'm just Stephen Grant. I, I, I work as a, you know, a gift shop clerk in the museum. And he was like, oh, so you really do work here. And then he starts talking to him about Ahmet and what she does and what her purpose is. And, and he tells Stephen, he was like, yeah, he said, it must be difficult hearing, hearing all those voices in your head. And Stephen is looking at him like, how the hell do you know what I'm dealing with? And then as he's talking to him, like, like what Anthony said earlier, he's very calming and he's very charismatic and he has this way of drawing you in. So Stephen is trying to get away from him, but at the same time, not trying to get away from him because he's kind of sort of mesmerized by all the things that Harold is saying. And of course, Harold grabs his hands and he puts the cane there and he starts that little judging process. And you see the scales on his arm. They start to go haywire. And I believe they turn red as well, right? They didn't turn, they didn't turn a color. Like he was like, there's chaos in you. Yeah. Because it couldn't, it couldn't tell good or bad. It didn't really tell either way. It just kept going up and down. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the the um, the trance that Stephen is in, it's broken when, you know, some doors open and that's when he runs into one of the halls. And that's where you see the jackal, hellhound, whatever you want to call it, that thing come after him. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a hellhound. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah. And, and he starts, you know, trying to flee from this monster. And then we get the, the end of the episode where Mark finally convinces him, you know, to let him take over so that he can save them. And this beat down that he put on this thing, like, I remember seeing it in the trailers and I was like, whoever just got their ass whooped, like they got their ass whooped. So the fact, the fact that he, he went in there, like he had, he, the the jackal jackal the jackal hound walked in there and knocked him down and then he while he was transforming then next thing you know you see a sink fly out the door into the wall and then you see the jackal hound trying to crawl out like trying to get away like he did like he wanted to smoke then he didn't want the smoke and and mark was like no 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 you're getting all this and yanked him back in there and started wailing on him i was like yeah <laughs> well that was like oh and then he turned I mean, he, he, he remind me of um he remind me of pattinson in the batman like in that first scene where he where he was on the subway on the l yep. the l tracks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you know, was like you notice how movie. how they kept doing all the reflections you kept seeing the reflections everywhere of, of yep. uh steven and it's interesting because it's always three reflections so I know we're probably going to get a third personality 
Mm. Okay. I, I would I would assume so because like when he was in his apartment, there were three panes. And even here in the museum, yeah, there was like when he walked off, two of the reflections stayed. And then Yes, off. I did notice that. Yeah. Yes. So we're, I noticed we're gonna that. get a third one. And okay. probably gonna be Scotty. <laughs> what, what did the guard call him? Scotty, <laughs> Scotty yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's why I was made, like... That's probably who made the date at the steakhouse was probably Scotty. Because I something tells me it wasn't Mark. Yeah. I, I don't know, because Mark might have a thing with this Layla person who keeps calling on the phone. And I noticed Mike, uh, I, Mike or Lori, one of you guys mentioned Duchamp, who is, I guess, supposed to be like one of one of Mark's allies or friends because that was the only other name in the phone aside right. from Layla. We haven't been introduced to him yet. So okay. he's not he, he's not he's not a subconscious, he's an actual person. Okay. So okay. we haven't met that person yet. Okay. But yeah, this um oh okay Mike, I know you took notes on this. So mm-hmm. he was talking to Bitch Becky, I'm that's what I'm gonna call her because I can't remember what her name was. He was talking to her, he was talking to her about the Oniad and about how they had the wrong gods represented. No, they were missing two. Oh, that yes, they were missing two. Yes, I'm ready. Go for it. I knew you were gonna do that. Okay, so basically, a little background is like the Egyptian gods were broken down into groups of nine. And the Ennead, the Ennead of Heliopolis is the principal group of Egyptian gods. Mm-hmm. And in this group, there is Harris, Atum, Shu, Osiris, Nephthys, Nut, Tefnet, Set, Isis, and Geb. There's actually 10 in this group for some reason, but they were, they were missing a lot of them. But a name, the name that's notably missing is Amit. Amit is not in this group with all of them. Neither mm-hmm. is Khonshu. So either they're in there in, in a different one together or they're in two different, two, two separate idiots. Okay. So, but yeah, it's like the all the all the gods that you know are the ones that are in in the Ennead that they're displaying. It's like Osiris, um, Isis, mm-hmm. and Horus, like ones, most of the ones that you've heard of. Right. But yeah, so it's, I mean, it, it, you just kind of have to, like I, like I said, is this is, this is the thing where you're, where you had, where you kind of have to go along with it and just remember when you were a kid and you saw, or like when we were when we were kids and we were breakdancing, we were doing like the doing like King Tut and stuff. Yeah. So it's like you know when it, when I mean, I I appreciate this because I was I was neat I was so deep into like I actually learned how to write hieroglyphics when I was like a kid, like as bad bad and nerdy as it sounds, it's like I actually learned like what the letters meant and like wrote stuff in hieroglyphics. That's actually impressive. It, yeah, I just—I I mean, I just learned it for the hell of it. But you know, that's just part of being a nerd. But I digress. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Anything else? With it, it, like, did I miss anything? I know. You know, we we're not going like scene for scene with the recap, but 
I think we touched on all the important parts, but like I said, I'm looking at the scene now, Anthony, where you're talking about the different, um, the different reflections. And, oh, that's what I wanted to ask. When he's looking at the reflection of Mark and he's talking to Mark and like finally deciding to let Mark take over, all of a sudden you start seeing the different symbols on the walls and reflected in the bathroom. So what, because, because you don't notice it when they first come into the bathroom and like even now as he's moon night and beating on the, yeah, that is a jackal now that I see it. You don't see it on the walls now, but as he's starting to, I guess, take over, you kind of see the, the symbols show up. flashing yeah. until they're like, full on and you can see them in the reflections from the mirror so with mark like with him being okay and i guess i might be asking the wrong question i'm I'm sitting here trying to figure out the question i'm actually trying to ask so the whole egyptian symbolism that comes from khonshu correct Mm -hmm. because he is one of the egyptian gods and you say he's the god of He's the moon god and he's a god of travelers. Like he's a he... oh okay. They could explain okay. why he can get around the world so fast. He teleports. Right. Yeah, he's a traveler guy. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing too, it's interesting, and Lori will understand where I go with this. You saying he's the god of travelers. So going to vampire diaries now, a whole different fandom. <laughs> So there's a group, there's a group of supernatural beings and they, they call themselves travelers. And basically they call themselves that because they can hitchhike, quote unquote, hitchhike onto another person's um, body. Like they can hide within a person's mind and, and be a part of that person kind of sort of like DID, you know, but they do it in a very, um, in, in a very obvious way, like it is actually that's part of their um, that's part of their powers that they can like choose somebody, do a spell, and then they just kind of like hitchhike there and they can hide or they can um, if a certain spell is said, they can take control of the person's body and the other person, you know, the 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 primary person doesn't know that the person so, is there. So is it so, a consciousness or the actual physical body? It's it's it, it would basically be like if I was a traveler and I wanted to like, let's say, take over your body, there is a spell that someone would be able to do and I would be able to shift my consciousness, leave my body so it's consciousness okay. and and and, you know, attach myself to your body. I was and wondering, was there like shape shifting evolve? Like, did you your whole physical self and consciousness go into that person or just your consciousness? It's just your consciousness. Okay. Like your body can be somewhere and uh, or like if you're dying, you can pull your consciousness there and go hitchhiking somebody else and try to find a way to eject their consciousness out of the body so you can take over. There's, it a, there's a really good movie that was on Netflix. Behind, was it Behind Her Eyes? Behind Your ah. Eyes? There was okay. something like that. So, yeah. So Mike saying that he was the God of travelers. I'm like, okay, so travelers could, you know, that could have multiple meanings. If you look at it from other points of view, like if you really think about it, it 
someone with DID, like I said, there is a primary and dominant person there, but then you have one or more other personas that are there kind of like attaching themselves to, but they're, they're traveling with the body, you know, until it's time for one of them to take over. And it's just, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have not seen the second episode yet, but I know Mike is excited about it. Y'all got to see this episode. It's, it's incredible. I can't wait for us to talk it, about yeah. it. Yep. But um, yeah, Oscar Isaac is brilliant. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Um, real quick, shout out to the conversation between him and Harrow, where Harrow says that he is a tomb's avatar and he says, Oh, the blue the movie with the blue people. Yeah, I love that. And he's like, No. He's like, Oh, yeah, the anime. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, that's perfect. Like, like yes, yeah, Stephen is one of us. If they would have <laughs> exactly. floated a cabbage, I would have lost it. You know, <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was the best joke ever. <laughs> that that would have been funny. But um, yeah, so we so we have Stephen, we have Mark, and we have Kanshu. And you guys are saying we're probably going to be introduced to other personalities. Now At least the one more. yeah. Now the other thing about this show, it's another one of those damn six episode arcs. I'm so pissed. I'm like, can we get can we get a full season of something? Like Jesus. But it's do we man. think he's going to? Because I think there have been some rumors about other Marvel characters showing up in the show. And I've actually like stopped looking at all of that stuff because especially after Spider-Man, No Way Home. And then um, with all the stuff that's coming out about Dr. Strange, like of course, if you look at the rumor mill, like everybody and everybody is showing up in Dr. Strange. So it's gotten to the point where I just don't even pay attention to it anymore. So my question is, and Lori, this may be a question that's better suited for you as someone who is more intimately familiar with the comics than the rest of us are. Do you see this character fitting into the bigger MCU picture? And if so, in what capacity? Like, what would be the character that we would see him interact with, you know, first or maybe more commonly? Blade and Black Knight. Hmm. Okay. Definitely Blade. Like I said, I, I foresee them doing, I don't think that Oscar Isaac would drop a series name like Midnight Suns just out of, haphazardly out of nowhere. I think that- I don't know because uh, Elizabeth Olsen dropped House of M <laughs> for WandaVision and we see how that went. <laughs> yeah, she but may have still, been talking about, uh, never mind. She, she may have been speaking- about Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness and not realize it. No, right. this is what she said, like, when they first announced, um, I think when they first announced WandaVision, they were asking uh, where would she like the story to go, and she talked about the House of Empire. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking she could have been, she could have had pre, prior knowledge about the Multiverse in madness the, the, have you not paid attention to anything anybody says in these <laughs> interviews marvel doesn't tell them anything anything 
Anthony yeah, Mackie didn't even know there was going to be a Captain America I, 4 movie until he heard it I'm just, being I'm announced. Just I'm just I mean, and the fact that they've shown, they've already given so many Easter eggs about Doctor Strange. I'm wondering what they haven't shown us. Like, yeah. There has to be a whole lot of shit that they have not shown us. Like, I'm I'm really geeked for this movie. But like, like bringing it, bringing it back around. I still, like I said, I don't think that something like Midnight Suns that has such a a potentially diverse and exciting cast of characters is not something you would kind of drop. In my opinion, I don't think he would just drop that haphazardly. I think there probably have been discussions about it. Like when he when he did his research on the character, he probably read it and he's probably already talking. He probably he was probably already talking to people about potentially bringing back the Ghost Rider from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is now canon. Give me Robbie Reyes. Yes! Wait, wait. Oh, did did they, they change it? Did Kevin Feige change his mind about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because he said it's not canon. So did he, he say that it is canon? It's on Disney Plus with all the other Marvel stuff. No, 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 no. no, no. That doesn't mean it's Did he, because he specifically said that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not canon, even though there's evidence to the contrary. Anyway, that's neither that's neither here nor there. If Idris is a canon, their main character shouldn't have come from the Avengers. But I digress. That's a whole other podcast episode, Mike. Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but but I, as someone I, okay, who has so, watched all of Agents of do not I, I will I will say this. I I've said it before when we talked about the shows back even before WandaVision aired is that I really believe the Disney Plus Marvel shows are more like the comic books and graphic novels that come out before a major movie comes out. They're giving you background exposition. They're giving you a story about the characters because when they do make an appearance on the big screen, we will have some history with them already. So here we're getting Moon Knight. And wherever Moon Knight shows up in the MCU, we will know who Moon Knight is. So we know that Blade is coming. We know that the Black Knight is coming. We don't really know necessarily what capacity. And we know Black Knight because of Eternals. We know Blade because of the previous Wesley Snipes movie. Nobody knows Moon Knight. And this gives them an opportunity to introduce Moon Knight to us. And when he comes and appears on the big screen, boom. Every, we know who Moon Knight is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I and I think I'm just glad it didn't recon Moon Knight to be the little girl like they did Taskmaster and Black. But I digress. You are going to be complaining about that for a long time. Just the rest let it of go. my life. Just the let rest it go. of my life. Well, I'm see, not letting it go. He's, he's got a valid point. I'm I'm 100. Oh, believe me, I understand. But that that's not going to change anything. Just let it go. No, it already happened. It's over care. and done with. Just let it go. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, this is a this is a great series. I can't wait. I can't wait for y'all to watch the second one. I can't wait to watch the third one. This, I mean, it's crazy. I wouldn't I actually wouldn't be surprised if we see Moon Knight in Multiverse of Madness somehow. I wouldn't be surprised. I all. will say this is definitely in the running for possibly being one of my favorite Disney Plus shows. It's really, 100%. really good. It has everything, it's comedy, drama, action. You know, in the physical comedy is hilarious. 
I mean, it's mm-hmm. just really, really crazy. And and also dealing with the mental health aspects too. I think it's really, really impressive that that Marvel continues to go down this road. I really like it. Yeah, yeah I agree. definitely. I agree. Laura, you have any final thoughts you want to say about the first episode? Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, first couple of minutes, I was a little confused. And then once I settled down, I was like, okay, yeah, they actually did Moon Knight the right way. So I'm excited for this series. The The only thing is, is that I'm disappointed that they didn't drop two episodes like they usually do. They just did the one. But you know what? I'm okay. Yeah, I was kind of because I thought I had heard rumors that they were going to drop two episodes and then I realized I was thinking about the wrong Disney Plus series they're going to do that with Kenobi oh well well actually that makes sense yeah so but okay um this is, so, yeah. is going to be a really interesting phase with this then they're coming out with Miss Marvel they announced Nova like they have a lot of stuff coming out that's going to I like how they're not still relying on the Avengers to carry them like they're getting, actually introducing different aspects of the Marvel universe mm-hmm. and tapping into different tapping into different areas and different characters and I mean trying and failing it's like you know it's it, I, I appreciate the fact that they're willing to go and dig deep for characters that most that most casual fans won't know so yeah. it'll be really it'll be really interesting to see where it goes from here and I'm enjoying it. I mean, because I guess, um, you know, technically speaking, when it comes to comic books, I would be considered a casual fan because I'm not a comic reader, but I'm very familiar with, you know, the um, the visual aspect of it as far as, you know, visual medium, TV medium. Um, I, I'm liking what they're doing as far as like picking these more obscure characters, if you will, and bringing their stories to the screen because I, I think for a lot of people, like if I had the time, I would actually pick up the comic books and go read about these characters and, and get to learn more about them because I think they're interesting. And like I said, um, just what they've done with that first episode from Moon Knight, like I've seen so many people really excited about it. Um, and it is one of the best premieres that they've had as far as a marvel show um and you know character origins so i'm really excited to see what they do with this second episode and how they're going to progress the story from here like i'm i'm excited to meet the other personas and see what they bring to the table like do we have other meek personas kind of like steven or are all of them like badasses like mark or assholes like Kanshu, even though Kanshu is not a persona but still he's he's there he's present he's you know very um condescending towards steven which again stop stop being so mean to him but the only he, alter ego we haven't met is jake lockley and i think that's the cab driver oh okay yes that is the cab driver yeah okay. so that's that's the that's the only other persona that we haven't met yet mm-hmm. but it's just kind of i mean unless he has some kind of knowledge like like if mark like had something and he turned it to like he switched to jake and jake hit it somewhere and mark mm-hmm. needs it that's the only way i could see them like actually acknowledging that he exists so gotcha okay 
All right. Well, um, we, we still got to be introduced to Frenchie too, though. Wait, we have a Frenchie in this one. <laughs> that's Du Camp that I talked that's about. The, that's that's Du Champ. Ah, yes, okay. yes, that's Frenchie. Yeah. Okay. And Marlene. He's Frenchie. And don't forget Marlene. Ah, facts. Yes. Who is Marlene? Uh, semi quasi girlfriend. Yeah, he, he's the she's the daughter of an archaeologist that was that got killed. And yeah, she helps him out. That was yeah. part of that whole open the tomb. Things went left. Ah, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, um, I guess that's going to be it for the discussion on the first episode because I'm anxious now to go watch the second episode so that. We can get on that discussion this week. But for now, that's it for our show. You can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can watch our videos on YouTube and listen to us on all major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.